Good morning, friends. It is really great to see you. Wonderful to be back in Boston again. Sally and I say every time we come, if we had it to do over again, we would have settled here and raised our family here. Although I will say that the more I'm here, the more barricades I run into on the streets. <laughs> this is a town that has a unique ability to close off streets. <laughs> I guess you have lots of events, right? Sally uh, sends her greetings to you. She is really sorry that she's not here. We had to make a decision, and actually it was made, if I can be honest with you, in tears. Uh, but she stayed home because she desperately needed a Sabbath uh, weekend. We've been uh, on a run for quite a while, and we're in the middle of that. And it just said, you got to stay home and just kind of chill for a little bit. But she made me promise that the next time I would not schedule this visit in the midst of a three- or four-week intense nonstop run. She said, i got to go. i got to go. So the threat is, I mean, the promise is there, okay? <laughs> I am particularly grateful for the great group of seven confirmands that are gathered here. This is an exciting day for you and for this church. It's a first. Uh, you have been incredibly well prepared. Mark, thank you for your zeal and commitment to teach and disciple these young people. Uh, for you parents, uh, I'm sure you already know this, but they have been well discipled and well loved by their pastor. But also, parents, you guys are, have had a lifetime of prayer and preparation. So I want to honor all of you and each of you for the work that you've done in your kids' lives. And this is a wonderful day. Uh, we have a lot to do today, so I uh, want to jump right into the text. So I encourage you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 21, and uh, we'll jump in in a minute. But as you're turning, I want to remind everybody what confirmation is for, and I want to invite you into this process. This is a, a very participatory service today. There are four emphases of a confirmation service, and again, because this is new, uh, maybe this, uh, what I'm going to share with you is new now. Uh, but in confirmation, there's an opportunity for those being confirmed to publicly confess their faith in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended, and coming again. So this is a, a, a service of confession. And the congregation is not just witnesses to that. We are also participants because all of us will have the opportunity to, to join in and confess together the apostolic faith that we have received. We will recite the Apostles' Creed together and confess and proclaim our faith in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and when our, our faith in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And the Apostles' Creed, underneath that, it springs from the confidence that the church has had throughout its life that the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, are the true and inspired Word of God. And they've revealed to us the truth that shapes our life, our faith, our practice, our hearts. So this is a day of confession. It's a day of renewal in faith. And so when we get to that point in the service, if this reflects your faith, just join in. This is just as much for you as for the confirmands. Confirmation, secondly, is an opportunity for the confirmands to commit themselves. So it's a day of confession and a day of commitment to commit themselves to live as faithful Christians in their spiritual lives, their morals, their ethics. Confirmands. You guys are going to renew the baptismal vows that were made for you at your baptism. You're going to speak about renouncing the devil and his works and about living in obedience to Christ. And I will remind you what I said yesterday. I was quoting another confirmation instructor. Confirmation is not the end of your discipleship. It's just simply a step up. It's a step up on a road. 
And if you can imagine your life as a disciple, as a, as a lifelong, beautiful, wonderful mountain hike, okay? Uh, confirmation is when you've just reached a new plateau. You get to a whole new level, and you can see a new vista. But you're going to keep on going, guys, so keep on going. It's a day of commitment. And again, all of us will have the opportunity to join in that. Third, it is a day of commissioning. Commissioning for ministry and witness. And I'm going to charge you in my sermon, Confirmance, and in the confirmation itself, to faithfully serve Jesus in his church and to seize upon the work that God has laid out for you to do. So I want you to listen carefully because I'm going to tell you about that in just a couple minutes. But I also want all of us to participate because even as I'm preaching, this, the passage that I'm, I'm going to look at today in John 21 and what I've learned from it has stirred me up in my own mission and mission and ministry as well. And so it's a, it's a time of renewal in our commission for service. And then finally, it's a day of consecration. So confession, commitment, commissioning, and consecration. I'll pray for you guys, I'll lay hands on you, and I will earnestly seek God's blessing on your life in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You were set apart by God at your baptism and given the gift of, your, of, of his spirit. But the Lord is pleased to continually fill you and all of us more and more with his grace and blessing so that he will give new gifts and capacities to match new callings in our life, expanded callings for service. So if you want to be a witness for Jesus, then ask for the gift of the Spirit to give you wisdom and boldness to know how to speak to skeptical people or to broken people and to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. Ask for opportunities. If you want to grow in your ability to help others who are hurting, then ask for gifts of counsel and compassion and encouragement for other people. Ask God to open your eyes to see people in their needs. You could go on and on and on. The text from Romans chapter 12 to sort of open the door to the gifts that God would be pleased to give to his people. So this is sort of like a mini Pentecost, okay? Uh, it's a service in which we unashamedly ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus is very clear. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the, Holy, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's a promise from Scripture. So I want to just ask you all to be open to what the Lord would do because when we ask God to be poured out, the Holy Spirit to be poured out on some people, there's usually some spillage, okay? So some of you could get wet, all right? It's just be prepared, you know. If, if, you're, if you're open to getting wet, you might, okay? <laughs> so finally, this is a day of prayer. And I want to encourage and call all of you to be praying. Praying for yourself, for what I've said already, for what God might give you. And as we turn in a few minutes to the confirmation itself, I want you to pour out your prayer on these seven people. And I want you to literally go through this service praying for these seven young men and women. Well, that was a long introduction. <laughs> John chapter 21. Let's see. Let's get there. This is the third time, the text that was read today, is the third time that Jesus reveals himself to the disciples after the resurrection. The first is back in chapter 20 on Easter evening in the upper room. Jesus comes to the disciples who are gathered there. There are 11 of them, minus Thomas, so really 10 of them, plus a lot more. Uh, as you, every scene that we see in the book of John and the book of Acts about the 
upper room, there are lots of people in the room. There's men, there's women, there's a lot of disciples gathered. We usually see a focus on the disciples, the 11 themselves, but there's more people in there. He ministers directly to them in their guilt and their shame and their fear. So the moment of the crucifixion, in this period of the crucifixion leading into the resurrection, the disciples who are followers of Jesus were gripped with guilt and shame and fear. And the first word that comes out of his mouth is what? Peace. Peace. Peace I bring. I declare peace to you. And in the book of John, I want us to remember that Jesus, in particular, has been introduced as the Word of God, the living Word of God, the embodied Word of God, the Word who was effectual for the creation of the world. What God declares is. When he says it, it comes into being. And so he declares to them peace. This first appearance, he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. It's like a, a baptism, a regeneration. They're born anew. And we intentionally should remember Genesis chapter 2, when God formed Adam and breathed into him the breath of life. And the Spirit of God is the breath of life. And it's by the Spirit of God that we are physically alive, but now we have a new creation, right? The beginning of the new creation. And so Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit, and they are alive anew, a new life, an eternal life. And in that first appearance, he hints at them about their mission. He says, you have the words and the message that bring forgiveness and eternal life. And it's really up to you whether that word gets out. <laughs> It'll be your decision. The second appearance, again, is to the disciples. It's a week later. It's inside the locked, room, uh, locked doors of the upper room, but this time Thomas is there. And he ministers directly to Thomas and Thomas's doubt and cynicism. And it's a gracious reaffirmation to him, but to all of them, that they are not making this up. It's been a week since they've seen him. Where has he been? It's easy to think, did I really experience that? Was it really true? And he comes back and in a very, very, I think, decided way says, touch me, feel me. Later on, the gospel writer, John, who's writing this, writes a letter. And he begins 1 John with this. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, we've seen it, we testify to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. I'm not making this up. <laughs> and that really, I think, is rooted in this second appearance of Jesus to the disciples. So he's ministered to their guilt and their fear and their shame, and he's ministered to their doubt and their cynicism. The first time he says, you have the words of eternal life to give to the world. And then again, in this second appearance, he hints at their mission because he says, blessed are you if you believe, but blessed are those who believe without having touched. So he's reminding them that there's a lot of people out there that need to hear. At that point in the Gospel of John, John the writer inserts a purpose statement in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Are you hearing a theme here? I hope so. Within ten verses, three times, we are directed to people who don't yet know Jesus. 
and we are told that we have the words or the opportunity or the message of eternal life. Three different times in ten verses. It's a major theme throughout the resurrection appearances. When Jesus sees his disciples, he ministers to them directly in their particular point of need. But then he immediately then turns them beyond themselves to those who yet do not know him. To remind them that his heart is for the world. I'm loving you and I want to love, I want, I want the world to know of my love. And you have the words, you have the opportunities. And he goes on in chapter 21, past what we're going to read today, and he commissions Peter and the other disciples not only to the mission, but to minister to one another and to care for one another. So to just wrap it up, the resurrection appearances constantly turn us toward others and remind us that our life is for the sake of others because we have already been loved. We've been cared for. You're okay. You have peace. You have assurance. You have my presence. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, live for the sake of others. In chapter 21, the disciples have gone to Galilee to, to wait for Jesus. There's no criticism there. They, uh, Jesus, in fact, told the women on Easter morning, his first witnesses, to tell his disciples to go ahead to Galilee and meet him there. So they get there and into uh, that few days that they're there, six of the disciples decide to join Peter on a fishing expedition. Again, there's no criticism there. I mean, I, they were doing what they do. You know, they were professional fishermen. They may need, maybe their family needed food. They just wanted to do something, you know. And what do they like to do? They like to fish. That's okay. Except this time they weren't very good at it, right? <laughs> they fished all night and they came up empty-handed. So as light began to dawn, there was a stranger on the shore, and he called out to them, children, do you have any fish? And I love that phrase, children, right? These are seven brawny, ripped men. <laughs> Later on, we're going to see a couple of hints at how strong Peter is, physically. And yet he says to them, laddies, <laughs> children, little kids, do you have any fish? No, they answered. Fly on the right side of the boat. You'll catch some there. Well, I don't know if you know anything about fishing, but experienced fishermen are not particularly noted for appreciating the advice of strangers, okay? Especially somebody still on the shore. But something in his voice induced them to do what Jesus told them to do, and there was an astonishing result. There was a huge catch. John the beloved disciple, immediately knew who it was. It is the Lord. Peter responded differently. He tucked up his outer clothes and impulsively jumped into the water and swam to shore. It's 100 yards. Have you ever swum 100 yards with all your clothes on? It takes some strength. It really does. Especially if your clothes are robes. I know, I wear these a lot. They're hot, they're heavy, they're not what I would go swimming in. In the meantime, the rest of the disciples slowly hauled the boat with its net full of fish back to shore, and then when they got there, Peter had to get in and pull the net in. Again, the strength. <laughs> and just like any true fisherman, what's the first thing they did? Count the fish, right? 153 big ones, right? What fisherman has not ever done that 
you know. When they got to shore, they found that, in fact, Jesus had already cooked breakfast for them. And he invited them to sit down and graciously invites them to contribute from their catch. To bring, to share with him what he has already given them miraculously. And I want you to file that in your mind as an image of how God asks us to participate with him in life. He gives us everything we need in order that we might give it back to him by way of communion and participation. So even in traditional Anglican services, we pray a prayer. From the gifts that you've given us, we yield them back to you. We worship you. They eat in silence. And they wanted to be near Jesus. But they were awestruck. They were amazed. And they really had no words for the occasion. The risen Jesus was inviting them to eat breakfast. And they just simply sat there. And I can imagine 10,000 thoughts and feelings were running through their minds. And that's the end of the story so far. But I began by emphasizing that this event underscores mission. Why would I say that? Well, this is the third time, the third time in the Gospels that fishing has been a major part of the conversation, right? Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls many of these same disciples at the beginning of his public ministry, and he tells them to drop their nets, and he says to them, follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men, right? Luke chapter 5, his ministry is broadened and lots of crowds are coming and there's a scene in which the crowds are pushing him into the water, literally on the Sea of Galilee. So he gets in Peter's boat, pulls out from the shore, and while he teaches them, after he teaches them, excuse me, he tells Peter, uh, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. This time they object, by the way. See, we've been fishing all night and we put our nets away. This is hard work. I mean, honestly, they, they did not want to do this. But they kind of begrudgingly said, well, Master, at your word, we'll do it. Okay, all right, all right, we'll do it. And that time, there is also another miraculous catch of fish. But this time, at that time, excuse me, the nets are breaking, and they have to call other people in and say, guys, come help us. We can't get it all in. And at the end of that miraculous catch, Jesus says to them, from now on, you'll be catching men. So now here's another moment, the third time, another miracle, after he has commissioned them clearly to mission and witness, and they could not have missed the point. I don't want us to either. Because fishing is a metaphor for the mission of witnessing to Jesus. He said it twice directly. He says it now by implication within the context. Kids teenagers, young men and women, part of your commissioning today and part of what is being laid on all of us together and reminded upon all of us is the privilege and the opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ, to go fishing for the souls of people and to bring them the message of life. Now I want us to learn two lessons about that though. First, through this event, Jesus teaches us the, the secret of effective witness or mission. There's a stark contrast between the results when the disciples who were professional fishermen relying on their own skills and techniques and their own initiative caught nothing and when they obeyed 
the direction of Jesus and caught more than they could handle. As we follow Christ in faith and discipleship, we bear his commission to witness. He wants people to come to faith in him. But as we go, we're going to encounter lots of programs and techniques. But regardless of whatever else you learn by way of witnessing, whatever else you know, comes to you, there is no substitute for simply praying and listening to t- and doing what God tells you to do. And there's nothing more sophisticated than that. That's the most, really the deepest thing you can do. John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Apart from me, you can do what? Now, does that mean that you can't physically do anything or accomplish anything? Of course we do. But he's simply saying, if you want to bear fruit for eternal life that brings glory to God, you must pray. You must walk in prayer. You must walk in dependence. You must listen to the Lord. If you want to witness what I would encourage all of us to do, and you young men and women as well, pray about it. Pray for people and listen to what God says and follow his prompting. Recently, our son told us a story. This happened just a couple of weeks ago. He was flying, and there was a man in a waiting area who was obviously Jewish, Jewish from, his, you know, from his clothing, from you know, the yarmulke on his head and so on. And Stephen felt prompted that he should talk to him about Jesus. There's just kind of a little nudge in his, in, in his soul. Uh, and, and so he said, Lord, okay, I hear you. <laughs> if you want me to talk to this man, please have him sit beside me on the plane. Well, you know what happened next, right? Stephen sat down, and then the guy sat beside him. So Stephen said, okay, well, let's do this again. Lord, if you want me to talk with him, help him, make him talk to me first, right? I, I want to be sure here. <laughs> kind of a Gideon thing. You know what happened next. The man initiated, and he actually asked Stephen a question that was a probing question about his soul. <laughs> and so the two of them talked on the whole plane ride about Jesus. Now, you know, it wasn't like the man came to faith in Jesus Christ, but this guy had never heard. He was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home, and he was an Orthodox Jew, and he literally had never read the Old Testament. He read the, he read the law. <laughs> I mean, excuse me, he, he read the Mishnah, but he actually had never read the text. And so G- Stephen was opening the text and showing him stuff he'd never seen before because he said, we don't read it. We don't know what to do with this stuff, so we just don't read it. And so Stephen was telling him how Jesus was the fulfillment of these prophecies and so on. And the guy was really into this. Now here in the West, it takes an average, an average of six years for a person to come to faith. So this is just part of the process of this man. But God was planting seeds and Stephen was an agent. Listen to what the Lord tells us to do. Pray and obey. The gospel is exploding in East Africa, and our roots as a movement are still in Rwanda, where the church is growing rapidly. They have very few tools and techniques, but they have a whole lot of prayer and simple witness. I love Acts 4. In the context of Acts 4, there have been many references already in the book to prayer and the the prayer of the church and there is consistent witnessing. The Sanhedrin arrest Peter and John in Acts 4 and observed that they were simple uneducated men and told them to stop talking about Jesus. And Peter and John respond, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to obey God or you, you be the judge. But as for us, 
we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. So that really leads us to the second principle I really want to pull out. Because what Peter and John were saying in their prayer life and in their openness to witness is we cannot stop speaking about the reality that we are experiencing in our lives. And the second principle that I think explodes out of John chapter 21 is that what Jesus wants us to experience in our lives is simply fellowship and communion with him. A life consistently where it's not unusual for us spiritually to have breakfast with him. This was all Jesus' initiative, right? John 21, he reveals himself. He comes to them. He cooks breakfast. He invites them to breakfast. He prepares it for them. He welcomes them to the table with him. In this experience of Jesus Christ, in this relationship with Jesus Christ, he communicates to them his acceptance, his love, his grace, and his friendship. And it is out of that same friendship that witness explodes and acts. So these two things work together, dear brothers and sisters. We are called to witness, but we're not called to witness as a work, but we're called to witness as an expression of a relationship that cannot be contained. I don't have to be paid or induced to talk about my wife. We are in love. And it is fun to talk about her. I don't have to be paid to talk about my kids. I'm proud of them. I want you to know them. I, I talk about my wife. I talk about my kids. I talk about my friends. I tell those stories to one another. It comes out of that relationship. And in fact, that's what we see here. It's in the relationship that we see again and again and again in the resurrection appearances that Jesus commissions us to witness to himself. He says to, to his disciples in John chapter 15, no longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. And the friendship of Jesus is the compelling experience that motivates us to declare the truth about Jesus. So I encourage you in both directions, and confirmands particularly for you, I encourage you that today you understand how much Jesus wants to be your friend and that you pursue having breakfast an awful lot with Jesus, okay? He sets the table. And in fact, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we come to the communion table that he has set for us to be reminded in, of who he is and what he loves, how he loves us. And as an illustration of the way our entire life ought to be experienced in communion with the living Christ so that we have something that we cannot stop speaking about. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful story, this beautiful event where we see your heart for us and for your people. And even, Lord, we see again your heart for those who do not yet know you. In Jesus' name, amen.